Thanks for tuning in to this Journey Bible Church sermon podcast. Join us every week for fresh sermons from God's Word by subscribing to this podcast wherever you like to listen most. If you are looking for a church in the Kansas City metro, come check out one of our church's campuses for worship on Sundays. Now, we hope you enjoy the message. observe that uh, we're living in a world that seems to be shaken. Lots of things are in flux and changing and uh, challenging times indeed. And so it gives us the opportunity to serve our God with gratitude, with awe, uh, and offer him service knowing that his kingdom will not be shaken. And so um, that that passage out of Hebrews is significant to me. I want to thank Colton um, for the opportunity again this morning. And then also, uh, I wasn't here last Sunday, but I went on and online and, and uh, listened to the message and that concept of uh, force multipliers. Remember that? How many of you? Okay, it's a test now to see if you were awake and listening. Uh, is a great concept, one I hope we hang on to because we are so much better together. We're stronger together than any of us are by ourselves, we will go places together that we can't go individually. We, we will quit, we will give up, we will grow weak, but together. And building off of each other's strengths, we have that force multiplier. And I want to, you know, it's my privilege to share a story today that uh, it's a great story and it, and it um, exhibits that sense of force multiplier. A lot of you have lived this story. Um, I hope I will be able to share portions of it that uh, um, maybe you aren't familiar with or haven't heard, and uh, it will, I hope, inspire you and challenge you to the days that are ahead for us as uh, uh, Journey Bible Church West Campus. So, yeah, it's the story of mission here at Journey Bible Church. I was with Pastor Mike here a while back, and he said one of his regrets in the midst of the COVID stuff is that it it robbed us of a 40th anniversary celebration. We weren't able to have it, basically, because we couldn't even get together in a a meaningful fashion, and so it just went by. But uh, in the midst of COVID, we turned 40. And so I want to look at, you know, it makes sense to me anyway, four decades of of missions here at uh, Journey Bible Church. And uh, I think each decade is different from the one in front of it, builds on the one in front of it, and um, it forms together an inspiring story and hopefully an instructive one for our own personal development as well as our development as a congregation here and as a church. So I called Ken Height this week and I said, okay, Ken, you were there at the beginning. And I need you to tell me some things about what you remember. And he said, man, my memory's not very good right now. You know, blah, blah, blah. And I said, well, let me just ask you a question. Uh, why did this church, from the beginning, set it up so that 10% of all that came in would go out toward mission? How did that happen? Just replay it for me. I think I know, but tell me anyway. And he said, well, a lot of us 
most of us in the beginning came from denominational background. We were part of a Presbyterian church, and so our experience was you just gave 5% to the head office, and that was it. That was missions. And we didn't get to know our missionaries. We didn't even have our own missionaries, basically. And so uh, we didn't want to do it that way. And we said, how can we set this up so that we have our own missionaries and we get to know them and they get to know us and we, we learn from each other and we grow together. And so they said from the beginning, not only would that be our desire and we would, have, we, we would be put aside 10% from the very start. And then they, they paid the price for that value. They earned it. It wasn't just theory. Uh, for instance, this was 1980 when the church started. By 19, it was 1985 before they had a, a building of their own. So in those five years, you, you feel it. You know, they're trying to put together money, which is hard to do. And at the same time, they're giving away 10%, which is like, oh, should we? Oh, here it goes. Here it goes every month, you know, it goes away, it goes away, it goes away while we're trying to build this. And so they were paying the price to earn that value. You and I uh, reap the, the benefits of that to this day. Also, and you probably won't hear this anywhere else, and I guess it's being recorded, so I should be a little careful, but um, they didn't pay their pastors very well at that point. <laughs> Uh, Ray, you were in on this, so you can, but uh, um, I talked with Jesse Boggs, who was the, the senior pastor here from the beginning. Uh, as the churches started, they called him, and he had three kids, and the amount that he was paid was not substantial enough to raise his family, so he had to go back to West Virginia and raise some support to be able to do what he was doing here at Olathe Bible Church. Now, I know a lot of the folks here don't know that, but he, he paid a price to uh, lead this church in, uh, in finances. And then uh, Sue and I came in 87, and we felt the same thing. It was like, oh, that's okay. Uh, we'll do what we can do to, to move things forward. But uh, there was a challenge, and again, uh, part of that was paying the price to earn those values of uh, prioritized mission. In that first decade, I, I'll call this the, the decade of faithful development. Um, and it was a season where we set out to reflect the spirit of Ezra. For Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to practice it and to teach his statutes and ordinances in Israel. As we came on in, onto the scene here at uh, what was then Olathe Bible Church, uh, we found it to be a church that was, it was growing on the basis, a large part of it was because they would, it was, it had a reputation of being serious about Bible study. And in that serious Bible study, it was practically oriented, uh, somewhat pragmatic, and it was geared toward, now let's put this into practice. Um, it was the norm to see people coming into this congregation on the arm of a trusted friend. That's the way it was working. And so we grew. Uh, we started at 50, and 
by the time, you know, it, it became 350. By the time we got here, it was at 650, uh, a church that was about uh, seven years old. Uh, 650 people had joined. And by the end of that year, we were at 850. And again, the, right, the way it was growing so rapidly was on the arm of a trusted friend because people would, you know, we're studying the word together, we're growing in our understanding, we're applying this in our homes and our families. And then why don't you come join us in this journey and people would come and the church would grow. So you, you might look at that decade and say, well, I don't, I don't see a whole lot happening in terms of global missions. And in one sense, you would be right. But in another sense, that foundation was getting laid on uh, the strength of obedient Christians. And that set everything up for what would, what would follow in global ministry. Uh, the church was growing deeper, it was growing stronger. And then to be candid, Chris, you'll appreciate this. One of my responsibilities in coming here was I was to help the mission team. Uh, it was struggling and I was to go to the meetings and uh, provide direction. Uh, Sue and I had had a lot of exposure to various ministry, uh, mission ministries as we were in college and traveled overseas quite a little bit on, as a mission team. And so bring that information and bring what you've seen to help our struggling mission leadership team. And so I would go to these meetings and it was frustrating. Oh my goodness. Um, you know, we had a world to reach and the nature of our discussions was, should we be paying Uncle Johnny $50 a month or $55 a month? And then we would go into an hour of discussion about, you know, should it be 50 or 55? And I was like, oh, I can barely stand this. This is really, this is really getting hard, you know? And uh, I remember praying, God, you've got to help us. You know, if we don't have a global perspective, nobody will. So you've got to help us figure this out because I can't figure it out. And we struggled and went into endless times of discussion. Um, the second decade, um, it became a, a pivotal time for us. Um, the decade of the 90s, things really happened in our world. Um, This verse out of 1 Thessalonians 5 takes on life and, and a bit of reality for us. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Uh, we were going to learn some things as a church, as a mission team. We were going to learn how to partner uh, with other people to accomplish so much more than we would by ourselves, the concept of force multiplier, hear it, see it, feel it, because that's what started to happen with us as a church. The year was 1991, and if you're old, like I am, that's a significant year because that was the fall of the Iron Curtain. If you're young, that probably doesn't mean as much to you, but uh, that was a significant event in our world's history. I remember... Um, hearing uh, Prime Minister Margaret Thatcher here in, in Kansas City at a conference saying, we knew that our principles were right, our policies were the, were the right ones, 
as opposed to uh, communist Russia, and that theirs would not make it, but we didn't know when things would change. And then 1991. And uh, uh, President Reagan looked at Gorbachev and said, Mr. Gorbachev, remember this, tear down that wall. And the wall came down, and with that, uh, decades and decades of forced atheism within Russia gave way to waves of evangelism coming into the former Soviet Union and its satellite countries. An amazing time. How that affected us, um, <clears throat> let me just tell some personal story. Sue and I had gone down to Little Rock, Arkansas to visit my cousin who was involved in ministry down there. And our kids were about the same age as some of their kids, and so it was going to be just a good family time, and we were down there. Uh, just happened to get there as Little Rock Bible Church was having a mission weekend, and so we spent some of Saturday, and then on Sunday morning, we went into, um, you know, they had a room set up with displays and information, and, you know, I remember being a little frustrated with it. Boy, it seemed like there was a lot of these things we just, we just can't get to, you know, that's... Uh, that's not where we are yet. And so, looked around Sunday. And again, I, I cannot explain this. You know, Sue's back here. She'll tell you I can be moody sometimes. It happens. But this was different. I was in such a bad mood. Uh, we went in on the, the church service. And, um, you know, it was full. There were a few seats in the back row. And, and so, I, we took those four of those seats. And it was symbolic, because that's as close as I wanted to get. I didn't want to worship. I didn't want to sing. I didn't want to pray. I didn't want to say hello to anybody. I was just in a really bad frame of mind. Un unusual for me. But I'm there. And I'm, I'm probably sitting there like this, because I don't want to be there. And, I, and I, you know, half of me is saying, let's just get in the car and go home. I'm, I'm out of here, you know. And then uh, they had a guest speaker, a guy by the name of Paul Eshelman, who was with the Jesus Film Project and Campus Crusade back then, crew now. And um, in the fall of the Iron Curtain, a new organization of, of organizations, an, an organism of organizations, if you will, was developing up called the Soviet Commission. And it was Bruce Wilkerson and Paul Eshelman with Jesus Film and folks from the Navigators and these organizations were combining their forces. And later they would say that was the miracle that took place in the 90s is that no longer did we do these things in isolation, but we did them together, we partnered. And everybody bring your strength and we'll bring ours and together we will trust God to do something in the former Soviet Union that it wouldn't happen on, by any of us individually. So I'm hearing this and I had heard of it, but now I'm hearing it from a first-hand perspective. And at the end of his presentation, he took 10 packets of information and just laid them down on the front of the platform and said, if you believe God wants you to be involved in reaching out to the former Soviet Union, come up here and take one of these packets. Let's pray. People started to leave. And I looked at Sue and said, I need to go up there. And don't give me a whole lot of credit. Remember, I'm the guy sitting on the back row with a bad attitude. 
But now I can look back on it and say, boy, there was some spiritual conflict going on that we almost missed what God was going to do. So I made my way up there, and I just had a few words with him. Like, I you know it's not me personally, but I think our church needs to get involved in this. I said, great, take one and follow what the Lord wants you to do. So uh, we were on our way home, and um, Sue was driving. I was sitting in the back seat. I think Rachel was in front with Sue, and Kyle was, I think, asleep. And I'm <clears throat> working through the information and processing some things in my heart and mind, and I'm reading a book on launching out into the deep. And it was based off of that uh, time when Jesus looked at his disciples who were out fishing, and he said, cast your nets on the other side. And again, I'm, I am hearing the voice of God saying, God's wanting to do something unusual with us. And uh, got home. And, and I think it was a week, maybe two weeks later, we were having an elders retreat. And by then, again, things had been becoming more clear. And I told Susu, I just sensed that um, God wants us to get involved in this. And if the elders look at this and see it as stupid and ridiculous, and this is not the way we do things, I don't know what that means about our future here. Just need you to be aware that I'm feeling this this strongly and I'm hoping that it's shared, but it may not be. And, and it would have been understandable because that's not the way we did things. You know, this was, we think God wants us to help reach this. And we've never done anything like that. And we don't know what we're doing and we don't know how. And, and uh, we don't have the resources, but here we go. That's not really the way the elders make decisions. You know, it's usually here are the steps and here's what we're going to be doing and we know how to do this. And this was totally the other way. <clears throat> and so with fear and trembling, with my job on the line, not, not in an ultimatum sense, but in a sense of, boy, this feels heavy to me, heavy in, this, in God's guidance, I laid it out there. And there was a moment of silence and then they said, absolutely. Let's do this. We believe God is in it. And let's draw the congregation in. And uh, prayerfully ask the congregation to respond and be a part of that. In the next couple of years, there were a number of teams that went over. How many of you went over to Minsk, Belarus? Anybody in this room? A few? Great. Um, Some from here, the Laughlins, uh, Mike and Debbie Johnson, uh, Steve and Claudia Gardner were here at the time, and there were others from other churches that joined in. Uh, there were some, some of the early teams went over into the old cultural palaces of the Communist Party. These were auditoriums nicely built for a thousand people, and uh, these became the setting for Jesus film showings. And night after night after night, they would go from one city to another to another showing the Jesus film. And then another team would go and do the same thing. And again, over and over and over. And I remember one time I had the opportunity to be in on that. And then on a Sunday morning, the auditorium is full, standing in the back. 
and uh, I shared a gospel message that, frankly, you'd have been bored with it. You know, it was just kind of a simple ABCs of the gospel, and you would have, ah, you know, tell me something I haven't already heard. And almost all of them stood to their feet and came forward to receive Christ. And it wasn't the, it wasn't the speaker, I'll tell you that. It wasn't the power of oratory. It was they were so, they had been enforced atheism all their lives, and now somebody was saying, here is a gospel message for you. Come get it. By the time those teams were done, uh, we had seen over 100,000 professions of faith. As we look back on it, we're not sure what all that meant. Uh, at least it meant they were saying yes to as much of Jesus as they understood. Did they understood or understand everything? Oh, no, neither do we. But they were responding. Well, the Laughlins came home and the Johnsons, and they said, you know, somebody's got to go back and start discipling or all that fruit gets lost. Well, that was the hard part. And so they went and packed up their families and uh, got in front of the congregation and said, okay, here's where we are. We've seen fruit like we've never seen. And now uh, here are some families who are going over to um, drive a stake in the ground and start discipling some people into becoming leaders of this movement of, of new believers. And so they went. The Laughlins um, are still there. They now work out of a neighboring Ukraine because uh, Belarus has blacklisted them. They can't get in the country, and so they work uh, in Ukraine and here and in that world. But they, and they did that for 30 years. They've done that for 30 years, longer than any other missionaries in that country. They went. Uh, I think there were over 100 of us that went with them at some point. Uh, and they formed the International Leadership Academy. It was St. James Bible School, and then it was Mintz Bible School, and the International Leadership Academy in partnership with uh, Campus Crusade. Here at home base, I and some others started recruiting pastors from around the country and asking them to go for two weeks and teach and take with you $5,000. It's kind of a hard ask. You know, it's a steep for a lot of churches to come up with $5,000 and send their pastor for two weeks, it was, uh, it was a big deal. But they did it over and over and over again. A few years ago, um, a guy by the name of Philosuk, President Philosuk of the Baptist Union, made the comment to, uh, I think it was to Jeff and Mike, said, you know, there are over 200 Baptist churches here in the country of Belarus. Almost all of them are led by graduates from that little Bible school. So God used this little church here in Olathe, Kansas to make a huge impact in the country of Belarus that goes on to this day. Um, and I just look back at me sitting on the back row of that church service saying, I don't, I don't want to be here. I don't want, and I'm thinking, man, it was so, such a spiritual conflict that was getting ready to ensue that I thank God for the grace that we didn't miss it. Remember that mission team that was so struggling to um, come up with you know, the ability to get beyond a, a $50 decision? 
uh, those problems were over. Now the congregation was so engaged that basically we ran for a while with two groups. This group is over here making $50 decisions and the congregation is moving forward to try and change the world. Uh, these were great days, a, day of, uh, a, a decade of reproduction. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Way beyond ourselves, God took us. Um, we were learning to do some impossible things, and we carry those with us to this day. So with man, it's impossible, but not with God. With God, all things are possible. The third decade. Uh, the world continued to change. There were some technological advances that changed our world in, in some profound ways. Um, the Jesus film, uh, others have recognized, that really changed the way missions was done in the world. Uh, people in every, every language around the world could see this film about the life of Jesus in their own language and respond to it. Uh, about that time in the early 2000s, I got a call from a vice president of crew saying, hey, I'd like to come visit you. And, you know, I knew what that meant. Um, <clears throat> Crew's a great organization. They do a lot of things, but they probably needed more money, you know, and, and they were coming our way for resources. And I said, oh, sure, be glad to talk to you. And so he comes and he, he sits down. And he says, you're probably thinking I'm here to get more money. I go, oh, no, no, I would never think that. Uh, of course, but uh, he said, no, I'm, I'm just here to thank you. I said, what do you mean? He said, your church has given over a million dollars to Campus Crusade over the years. I said, man, I didn't know that. He said, that makes you one of the top five churches in the country in terms of your giving to support the ministry, and we want to thank you for that. And uh, I've teased Mike Johnson saying, probably most of that was your salary, but... Uh, <laughs> Uh, it, it probably wasn't. So, global travel was becoming accessible. When we first, the first mission trip we did was in 1975, probably. And uh, I read that there were about 400 short-term mission trips that year. Now there are over a million a year. Travel became accessible. Um, computerization through computers, resources are readily available uh, through the computers. I remember, I was with Paulus, we were down at a, a university down in Ethiopia, and I, I wrestled with whether or not to bring my computer, and I had this PowerPoint, so I brought it. And, because, I, you know, you, you don't want to put resources in front of them that they can't have access to, and so we're set up at the university, and I'm trying to figure this out and make it and connect it. And uh, one of the Ethiopian guys came up and he said, can I show you how that works? And I go, oh, you've got these things. And uh, so the computer world was making its way around the globe. Cell phone connectivity. Paulus is on the phone every day to people in Ethiopia and we're on the phone around the globe and we're getting better at using Zoom calls to have, have uh, conferences with our partners. And many countries leapfrogged over Landlines instead just went straight to cell phone technology, and so God has just opened up doors. And then there was a new kind of leadership that uh, rose to the surface. Sam Stevens of India Gospel League taught us about this as um, 
it used to be that, you know, in order to really lead in the church, no matter where it was, you had to go get a lot of education and training and Bible college at least, and maybe some seminary. And, and then we started to recognize that, no, wait, God is using all kinds of leaders. They don't have to have that kind of high education in order to um, be a leader in God's church. And uh, that had been, been a bottleneck that was unnecessary. So it was sometime after 2010. I remember the meeting. Chris, you'll remember it where Pastor Mike had led us to do an exercise as elders as to uh, what do you see God moving us to do in the, few, in the next ministry season? What would be the focus? And so we were all to pick our top three, and then we tallied the, 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 the vote. And it came out family and discipleship and reaching unreached people groups. Not just doing missions, but specifically the elders felt moved of God to go after reaching unreached people groups. Um, we hadn't, you know, we hadn't taught that or programmed that or planned their response, it, but it, God gave it to us. And it was in that same season that I had gotten up and made some kind of, you know, you, as a lead pastor, you're asked to do the vision, right? And so you make your, you make... Um, presentation of what you believe the vision of the church is. And I had made a comment that I believe God will have us plant 500 churches. And it got really quiet. We had planted two. And man, it was hard. And uh, it, it took 100 people out of us every time and resources. And so 500. And I think I said... Um, as long as you don't care where they are. And uh, I think the day will come when you will laugh at how small my faith is to just say 500. But I have been reminded of that statement more. You know, you preach every Sunday for 40 years or 30 years and, and you, you hope somebody remembers something. Well, <laughs> um, this is the thing that got remembered more than anything. You said 500 churches. I, yeah, I did. Um, we had learned some things from the past, and we learned about doing impossible things and trusting a God to do what he calls us to do. And so we set out. It was during the same season, and I'm going to embarrass somebody, a couple somebodies, that God raised up Apollos of Sepha and a Chris Tatham. And Apollos of Sepha, who has his seat on the back row every week, I keep trying to talk him out of it, but he sits there. And, and uh, it's, a, it's a different story for a different time, but he's here as an answer to prayer. And uh, we met out in the foyer and he said, hey, some, my father was a church planter in Ethiopia, one of the first evangelical church planters, and someday I would like to go to Ethiopia. And I said, when are we going? And that started it. And within the year, we were there. And an amazing thing started to unfold, and God gifted that man uh, with a, a love for his people. I remember the night when we were 
we had just listened to his father um, speaking to 100 or 150 of the pastors who called him father. And he had helped start their churches. And now he was coming back to encourage and strengthen them. And the, the meetings were over and we were standing outside and watching the sunset and looking over these mountains over here to this side. And, and I look over at Paulos and the tears are coming down his cheeks. And he said, I just feel the pain of my people. And I said, we'll help you. We'll help you. And so we did. We began in, and um, we'll talk a little bit further later about what we've seen, the amazing things we've seen in Ethiopia. And God raised up Chris Tatham. I'm going to embarrass him. I'm going to make him mad. I don't care. Um, Chris brought to the position of mission pastor, amazing and unusual leadership skills and strengths. And if you've worked with Chris in a close fashion, you know what I'm talking about. You have an idea. And with that came spiritual integrity and a humility that demonstrates that, you know, this is about God, it's not about Chris. He's taken some wounds and some bruises because he had the ability to say, it's not about me. It's about God and what God is seeking to accomplish and that's what I'm about. And if that's not what you're about, you don't get in this business. You know, it's not worth it. Um, and when you've got those things, it's an incredibly powerful combination. And the mission program, the mission of this church has, uh, we have been uh, experiencing those incredible dynamics um, and, and seeing, well, I, I want to say starting to see, we've seen amazing things, but I think that we're just starting to see what God is going to accomplish. And let me just say this, Colton has some of those same dynamics and is bringing those to play and giving us opportunity to pour our hearts and souls into um, West Campus and uh, I think back to the beginnings of the, the church where it was about re studying the word of God in a deep fashion and then doing it, bringing a friend on the arm. Uh, uh, you know, they trust you. You're bringing them to a journey together um, to follow after God together in a global pursuit. So with Chris's leadership since 2015, Remember, I said we might plant, you know, by God's grace, we might plant 500 churches, remember? I, I give you permission to laugh. Uh, so far, since 2015, the number of churches planted is 2,158. Isn't that something? We might plant 500 churches, you know, whatever. Number of new believers, well, let me break that out a little bit more, the number of churches. Um, in India, we had started a partnership with India Gospel League. Chris came on and said, we need, to, we need to really get involved in that and up our involvement. And we entered into a, 
a group of churches here with Colonial Press and uh, Indian Creek and New Covenant. And, and we became, I forget what we called it, something about Kansas City Initiative. And, and then those churches uh, faded out. And the only church standing was Journey Bible Church. And we stuck with the work in Odisha. Odisha doesn't mean anything to you, but it used to be called Orissa, and it was the darkest state of the 27 states of India. It was just awful. Um, anything that hinted of gospel had, wasn't there. What was there was just oppression and spiritual warfare. And I had had opportunity to visit there back in 2008. And um, with some friends from Kansas City, actually, and they, they took me around and took me out into some of the rural places to see some of the micro loans that were a, a sewing center that was helping a village overcome poverty. And, and we toured around with a Hindu priest of all people and uh, became a friend with him and, and, and just talked about what we believed and where we were. And I left, came home, it was Christmas, and Christmas that year became known as Black Christmas because the Hindus went out and started destroying houses of Christians and, and killing if they could and, and burning their churches down. And I thought, oh my, some of those very same places where I had been were now in ashes. And that's Odisha. And God guided India Gospel League to focus in that place, that state, to um, uh, plant churches. And so we, we began to help and do some training. I remember uh, one of the training times, we were breaking into small groups, and there was one guy there who was kind of a big guy and, uh, by the name of Dalip. And he was just, he would just set up chairs and he was uh, arranging blinds and helping with the air conditioning and just serving, serving, serving. You know, you just couldn't stop him. And then he told a story in our little small group and he said, back on Black Christmas, I was trying to kill Christians. I'm thinking, oh, wow. And then these pastors kept reaching out to me in love and they won me over. And now I'm, I'm serving Jesus Christ. And he now is the key leader in Nepal because uh, in, in Johnson's passing. How many of you have been to India? Anyone? Several. To Nepal? Anybody? Not too many in that direction. But um, <clears throat> so in, in India, 1,342 churches. In Nepal, 132 in the southern part of Nepal under Dalip's leadership now. Uh, in Ethiopia, when we started Paulos, um, we flew in by helicopter because we didn't, we'd been told there's not really a road that, that can get you there. You know, so okay, we, God again opened up, we met the pilot at a restaurant. He said, yeah, I could do that. And so we flew in. And as we're flying in, he's giving us the aerial education. I said, you got the greatest classroom in the world. You know, as you're, this, is the, this is the Hammer tribe, and these are the Dasanich, and 
here's the status with them. And all of them have just a little bit of something happening in terms of the gospel. So small that if somebody were to get sick or to die, it might be snuffed out in that entire people group. That's how frail and small it is. Well, we went to work, and as of now, and again, I want to give credit where it's through Paulos networking with a gentleman named Muga, who takes his, his uh, team of indigenous leaders, and they love on those tribes, and they train oral storytellers to take gospel back. Twelve of those 17 tribes they now would consider to be reached with the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's an amazing thing. It doesn't mean that there's no more work to be done. It means that there are, there are over 2% believers or there are a certain number of churches or they have the ability within themselves to reach their people. And uh, a whole lot of that stems back to here. And uh, in Ethiopia, there are 432 churches out in the Omo Valley. And these aren't, um, you know, we talk about the difference between elephant churches and rabbit churches. Elephant churches are like this one. Huge influence, but it's a, it's a very large church. Uh, doesn't reproduce as quickly. These rabbit churches, uh, they reproduce quickly. And they can go hide in a hole if they need to because of persecution. Uh, and they multiply rapidly. And these are rabbit churches. They, they meet in huts. And uh, that's what needs to happen in so, so many parts of the world. Okay, I'm not sure when we're supposed to close here, so I better start wrapping it up. Um, well, let me say a word about the mission giving that has gone on. You remember I, I said that there was a point where, boy, we had given a million dollars over several years, and that's, that was amazing. And it, it, it was. Last year alone, uh, this church gave $1,167,857 in mission giving. One year. Um, if you take the average over the last eight years, add it up and divide by eight, you get $1,014,000. The average over the last eight years is over a million dollars in giving through the generosity of this church, uh, either through the budget or through special gifts that people give saying, I believe in this or I want to invest in this. Uh, West Campus is part of that, you know. So understand this. It used to be that missions happened from the West, Western culture, to the rest, from the West of the rest. Now it is no longer from the west to the rest, but it is from everywhere to everywhere. This morning as we meet, on any, any Sunday morning, there are 1,000, I forget how many we said, there are thousands of churches that meet and share gospel and see spread because this church was faithful. One other thought. Uh, what about decade five? This one that we're entering into, that you and I get to be, you know, through God, God, through Colton, has positioned us 
to be in a place where we can make this happen all over again and do it so much stronger than the first time. It'll be different. Uh, this culture is different now than it was in 1985 or 80. Believe me, it's harder. That's okay. We serve a God that does impossible things, right? And will we commit uh, to bringing a friend, a trusted friend on our arm to be part of this journey with us? Will we, will we just follow God, whatever it is, even if you're in a bad mood, you know? Um, 40 years ago when we dedicated this piece of property, somewhere right in this area, we took out the trees, there was a house up here, we removed that and we, we stood here and we claimed Ephesians 3, 20 and 21. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. let's pray. God, it's been a great journey, and you have written a great story in our lives. And we are thankful to be a part of it, to, uh, um, to be able to look back and see what you have done, and, and then to look forward and recognize that you, you are about bigger and stronger things. And so we... We pray, God, that you will use us and accomplish it for your glory in the church, in Jesus' name, amen. This podcast was produced by Journey Bible Church in Olathe, Kansas. If you're interested in learning more about our church, visit journeybible.org. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. We'd appreciate a positive rating and would encourage you to share this program with a friend. Thank you for listening.